faithful, true, good Father in heaven, we bless you and we thank you that we have the scriptures. I'm so grateful that we don't have to wonder what you're like. We don't have to wonder what story we're in and we don't have to wonder how it ends. I pray that this morning as we focus on the conclusion and the climax of human history and of our story, I pray that it would lend courage to, to our souls, that it would, it would give us boldness and faithfulness in the midst of the life that we are living, that we would understand the beauty and the power of how the scene that we've been entrusted now contributes to that climactic moment. Would you just, would you hear and answer, God? Help us to be the sort of people prepared to live faithfully in the moment, waiting for this this climax with anticipation. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to make a confession because I feel safe. So please help me here and let this be a safe place. One of my favorite movies is Pride and Prejudice. I said it. I, I wouldn't have picked it. I, I wouldn't have ever chosen to see it, but I do love my wife, and she wanted to see it, so I saw it, and it was one of those that the whole time I had to pretend the first time that I didn't really enjoy, but by the time we were watching it for like the sixth and the eighth and the tenth time, I was like, all right, I'm in. It's a good story. And there's a reason that the story has stood the test of time for over 200 years, that it continues to resonate with audiences, it continues to connect. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, it's the story of Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet, they're trying to figure this thing out, but because of pride and prejudice, they keep missing one another. It's the story of these, these would-be romance that is constantly frustrated and crossways. They say awful things to one another, and they undercut each other, and all of a sudden you're like, maybe it's just never actually going to happen. And if, in frustration with the, the film, you decided to just hit eject, or say, I'm done, shut it down with 10 minutes left, you would be left feeling like this was a pretty frustrating, disappointing story about two people that constantly missed one another, said awful things about one another, and never actually found their satisfaction, their home. You would have missed those last couple of moments. Your hands are cold. <laughs> ah. You know, it's that moment where you're like, oh, there it is. That's what you've been waiting for, that they... They found the one that their heart longs for. And in fact, with that little sunrise and that beautiful moment of togetherness, that all of a sudden what you realize is that in fact, all of the scenes of disappointment and frustration and where they felt like this is never going to work, all the ones that felt so frustrating actually contribute to the excitement of them finally finding one another. They go, oh, this moment, if it had started here, we would have gone, ah, that's nice, I guess. But when you've gone on the journey and you come to the climactic scene, it, is, it's, it actually remakes every scene that's led up to it. And you go, oh, all of the frustration helps me to celebrate what has happened here in their story. We are coming to the conclusion of the Bible. We've been studying over the last several weeks heaven and getting a heavenly view that reshapes our story. And it's the story of the bride and the groom being united. We even heard it in this text as the bride is saying, come. It is, it is a unification that in fact comes at the conclusion of a very winding, meandering story. A story that if you 
hit eject prematurely, if we just hit pause on the story right now, we might go, gosh, it just sometimes feels frustrating. It feels like God is absent right now. It feels like maybe he's cold and cruel, and maybe he's prejudiced against me. And in my pride, I say, you know what? I don't know that I'm just going to keep waiting for this thing to pan out. That the story, if it doesn't reach its climax, isn't a good story. But as we get to read the last page, the invitation is this, to see that the climactic scene is so stunning that it reshapes all that has come before. And so we've been meditating on this week after week, and what we will find is that even the heartache and the frustration, maybe the heartache and the frustration that you're in currently, it may be that you're in a scene right now that feels like you've been forgotten. But what we get the opportunity to do is examine how does this story end? And if in fact this is true, it reshapes the whole story, even the scene we're in right now. And so we want to be a heavenly people who live in light of the climactic scene. And what we are going to do is we're going to examine the last few verses of our Bible, asking God to take us to this place where we stand on tiptoe with anticipation for what he has in store for us. The first thing that we see as we work Revelation 22, 6 to 21, wanting this text to find its way into our bones is this. The revelation of Jesus is true and it's urgent. And both of those things are really critical if we're going to feel the weight of this scene pressing on our scene. It is true and it's urgent. You you see, as, as the story comes to a conclusion, this mediated message that comes from Jesus to an angel to John to his people, it gets stated and restated that it's true and it's urgent. We heard it at the beginning of our text. Let me read it back to you. See if you can hear the notes of truth and urgency in the way that it starts for us today. It says this, And he said to me, this angel that is speaking with the very authority of Jesus, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. There is a flurry of such statements as the book of Revelation comes to a conclusion. John the Revelator and the angel that is speaking to him is over and over saying, hey, you can trust these words. The way that the psalmist would have said it before them was, these words are like silver refined over fire seven times. They're pure. You can trust them. He comes to the conclusion saying over and over, you can pay attention to and trust these words. But he is also saying, these words are urgent. Behold, it is coming soon. And interestingly, if you heard it in the text as it was read over us, this is kind of like the the heartbeat of the final text, the urgency of it. Because in 6 you get it, and then in verse 7a he says, Behold, I am coming soon. And then he begins to keep speaking. And then in verse 12a, Behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20a, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. That it's like a... It's a pulsing heartbeat through the final passage. This is urgent. It's coming. It's coming quickly. So it's it's true and it's urgent. And it's important for us to realize that it's both of these things simultaneously. If something is true and not urgent, it's a Wikipedia article. It's a, you know, coal gets turned into diamonds with enough pressure and enough heat. That's an interesting fact. Cool. 
It's true, it's just there as a fact. If it's urgent, but it's not true, it's the boy who cries wolf. You know, everything's coming apart, the sky is falling. There's like a whole cottage industry on this. You can make good money on being urgent, and it doesn't matter if you're telling the truth or not. Because people like to get revved. Oh, everything's coming undone. There's a, there's a new world order and everything. You know, you can fall down that rabbit hole of lots of urgency and very little shreds of truth. We're either the boy calling wolf or we're a Wikipedia article, but if it's true and it's urgent, it has demands on your life. It's like the meteorologist saying there's a massive storm forming off the coast and it's coming directly to your city. It's time to evacuate. And you go, okay, that's true and that's urgent. I need to do something. Or in a more positive sense, you've got a distant relative that has passed away and you get, get this news in the mail of, hey, you've got a significant inheritance coming. You have to sign these documents and send them back ASAP. And you go, oh, this is, this is true and this is urgent. I need to do something about it. The revelation of Jesus as it comes to the conclusion, he's making it really plain. He's pausing over and over and over. No, 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 listen. Listen to me. These words are pure and trustworthy, unlike anything you've heard. And it's imminent. It's coming. And for that reason, the question becomes, well, well, what implications does it have? Because if it's true and urgent, it means I've got to do something about it. And listen, every time eschatology, the study of the end times, is introduced into the text in the New Testament, every time, it becomes an impetus towards Christian ethics. The reason we talk about the end times is because it, it motivates and encourages and helps us understand, well, how do I take my next step right now? And that's Absolutely true in this last text in the scriptures as well. There's three things that come as a result of Jesus' revelation being true and urgent. And I want us to hear each of them briefly. The first is this. If this revelation of Jesus is true and it's urgent, the first thing is this. We must keep his word. We must keep it. You're going to hear this word when I read it over you. It, by this point in Revelation, it's, 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 it's nearly a technical word, commentators say, because it's been used so consistently to mean persevere even when it's hard. Hold tightly to his word. Protect it and stand for it. You're going to hear in this text, don't seal it up, which incidentally, when we were studying the book of Daniel, we were told, he was told to seal the text because the time was not yet. But now he's going to say, don't seal it, read it, keep it, hold it. There's actually blessings for those that do. Look and hear this with me in verses 7 through 11. It says this, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. John has spoken seven blessings throughout the text, and this is the last one, saying there's a blessing for keeping the word. The first one was in a Revelation 1-3, and he said there's a blessing for reading the word aloud. So from beginning to end, what he's saying is read it, hold it, stick to it. Your life will be blessed if you do. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. He said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, the righteous do right, and the holy still be holy. He's going, the time is coming quickly, and you must keep the word. 
Don't, don't journey off into what you see the, the, the filthy and the evildoers doing, but remain righteous and holy. Persevere all the way to the end. If, if you have a boss or a teacher that tells you they're going to inspect the work you're doing, you're prepared and you're thinking, okay, I, I know at the end of the week I'm going to have to report in. You, you want to be prepared. But what the biblical text says is that one day soon the sky is going to be peeled back in fire and the creator God is going to see. All is going to be revealed. And what the text is, is pressing us towards is going, well, please tell me. Please tell me that with your one brief life, knowing that he has truly and urgently told you all will be revealed before him, please, he's saying, please tell me. You didn't spend your time dawdling with unimportant, sinful, evil, filthy things. Please tell me that's not what you let your story be about. This, this is the pressure of the text as he's going, it's true and it's urgent, so, so keep his word. I love how honest, even in this moment, as John is receiving this word from this angel and giving it to us, how humble and honest he is. Because did you hear it in the middle of it? Did you see 22, 8, and 9? He's being given this word that he's giving to us of like, keep his word and protect it. And he goes, in the middle of it, I fell down and I started to worship this angel. So I'm engaging in idolatrous worship of this angelic creature in front of me, John's telling us, in the midst of calling us to ethical standards. So humble, so honest. And interestingly, <laughs> it had happened just a few moments earlier in chapter 19. I just I want you to follow this idea for a second that John was Jesus' best friend on the earth. He was an apostle, a leader in the church. He has been exiled to the island of Patmos for faithfully continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus to the end of his life. Jesus is revealing himself and speaking to him through angels. He is getting to receive the final revelation. There he is in the moment. He's saying, beware, watch out. And in the moment, he's falling on his face in the same way that he did just a few verses earlier. If you look at chapter 19, hear this. Chapter 19 said this. Verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The way that we keep ourselves, the way that we keep the text is that we're, we're guarding our hearts and walking in obedience. But in the very midst of it, I just want us to feel this reality that it is a, a journey of constant and quick repentance, not of always sticking the landing. Do you feel it? That John, in the very moment, he, he's not calling us to ethical perfection. He's, he's calling us to ethical correctability. <laughs> he's saying, guard the word. There's blessings for keeping the word. And in the middle of it, he's, he's telling on himself He's telling the truth about himself. And by the way, I'm a foolish, repetitive idolater. That's who I am, the one who's giving this word. But I'm real quick to receive the word and be reminded. This was so helpful to me as I was feeling the ethical press of this text because I am so prone to lay at the feet of lesser gods. Isn't it true that we just, we're so easily, we're so easily led astray? Like, oh, other people's reputation. 
other people's thoughts about me. Oh, like money and career, if I could just have it, I finally know I'd be satisfied. If I finally had a spouse or a baby or a better house, that will deliver my, we're so quick to go, yes, Jesus, but really my hope is over here. And in this moment, John is being corrected time and again, even as he gives us this good, hard word of, hey, guard and keep the word. And the way that you'll do that is by quickly and consistently repenting, because you're not going to nail the landing. But you live in light of the fact that it's coming quickly. You see, the first note that comes from this being true and urgent is that we keep his word We love it and we study it and we hold on to it. And where it daily calls us to repentance, we very quickly repent. And this relates to the second thing that flows out of it. He's not just going to say keep the word, but he's going to say prepare yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Make sure that your robe is pure. He paints a picture of this reality that there's going to be outsiders and there's going to be insiders. And the distinction is a distinction of laundry. He's going to say, It's about your garment. Is your garment pure and clean? There's outsiders and there's insiders and the garment is going to make the distinction. He's going to say, have have you engaged in the work to prepare yourself for this great feast, this great coming together? Hear it for yourself in verses 12 to 16. Look at these, these words with me. He says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Jesus is saying that when he comes, he's coming for judgment. And, and, and hear what kind of judgment it is. It's going to be judgment that is specific, it's direct, it's personal. He says, I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root. I am the descendant of David. I am the bright morning star. This raises a question. At least I hope it raises an urgent question in your heart. How do we make sure our robe is clean? That's the dividing line. He just said there's going to be a moment where people are ushered into feasting and joy in his presence, but some will be on the outside. And he says it will be dependent upon the garment. Is the garment radiant? And interestingly, if we had been reading Revelation straight through, there are two references leading up to this where the garments are are referenced. And they're explained how they are made clean. And it's two things, one that gives birth to another, and together they are the fabric of the garment. I want to just show this to you because this seems to be really critical for what we're talking about here. Look back at Revelation 7, verses 13 and 14 with me. This is after the heavenly vision. We see all those in the presence of God. And it says this, one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. 
So very clearly in chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, what it's saying is this, that these robes have been cleansed, they have been plunged into the blood of the lamb, which can get out the deepest of stains. Interestingly, there is another text, chapter 19, verses 6b through 8, where, where a similar note is struck, but a different mode of purification is noted. And it says this, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's not what I was expecting in chapter 19. You're tracing along. You're like, oh yeah, you already told me about the white garments in chapter 7. What you said is this. It means they've been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. In chapter 19, he says, okay, they're wearing that white garment. Let me tell you why the garment's white. It's because it's the righteous deeds of the saints. And you're like, wait a second. Is this by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone? Or is this like kind of my works, John the Revelator? What's happening here? I think it's important to note the way that one commentator says it is this. You are justified. You are justified by grace alone. Like you are saved by the work of Jesus alone. And you are going to be judged by your works alone. What does that mean? What it means is this. What the commentator is saying is that when we begin to experience the grace of Jesus plunged time and again into that space, it begins to actually reshape who we are such that our works are not an expression of anything we have done. It's not that we go, yeah, I am pretty good and I can stand before the judgment of God. It's all his grace, but it's actually that it's starting to work into the fabric of my being and it's being worked out in such a way that you go, oh, you have a whole new heart, a whole new life. Not, not perfect, but radiant because of the grace of Jesus that has cleansed you. And so the text altogether is saying, it's because you've been plunged in the blood of the lamb, it's because your deeds line up with that, that on the final day you go, ah, oh, yes, your, your robe is radiant, clean. Now, <laughs> I've, got, I've got three boys that are all very energetic. You've heard plenty about them. What that means is we have deep stains at our house. <laughs> Ashley's good at a lot of things. Uh, she has like all of these secret skills that are just required, I guess, when you become uh, a, a boy mom. But one of them is that she, has the, she can get a stain out of anything. And so frequently what the case is when I come into our laundry room, we've got this laundry room sink that is often filled up and there is like any matter of, of clothes in there. And it could be anything, you know, it's ketchup and it's grass and it's mud and it's, other things and it's it's all in there and and she has some concoction that it's soaking in and then after that I'm going to do this plunge and then this and and sure enough time and again the clothes are wearable they are they are back and restored what I've realized um, in sitting with this text is that I just need you to hear this this is a safe place to have deep stains like you're in good company. You're in good company if you hear a text like this and you go, oh, wait a second. I don't know that my, my robe feels radiant. 
what we have come to believe around here is this, that the gospel is good news. And it's the sort of good news that says to you, it's not about being perfect, but it's about running quickly to Jesus. And what we have found is that when the, the word and the spirit and the community together, when, when we're real quick to like John go, oh yeah, 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 I'm foolishly laying at the feet of something that I, I should have never been there. And we come really quickly back to community daily over and over going, I need to just tell the truth about myself. Like I read in the scriptures, the way that the authors of the scriptures don't pretend that they have it together, but they tell the truth. Like John did in the very moment that he was re- receiving the revelation of Jesus. That I want to tell you the truth. I'm a mess and the stains are deep. And as we enter into that space with one another, time and again what happens is that the, the fabric of your soul is plunged into the the stain-releasing blood of Jesus in such a way that we start to come alive to something. We start to look and act differently. We actually start to hate our sin because we don't want to run back to it. We want to live in the light. There's such freedom and joy in the light with the community. And what begins to happen is that the blood of Jesus that is cleansing us and giving us a heart of flesh is now producing a new way of living. And they together are creating the fabric of the radiant robe that is all the grace and the glory of Jesus. It is all his doing. But our works become a display of his grace in an ongoing way. You're free to step into this space with stains that are deep and to experience that freedom. You see, the final scene, it's, it's true and it's urgent. And so for that reason, we need to keep ourselves, we, we need to keep his word and we need to prepare ourselves. And the last note is this, we need to anticipate his arrival. Now listen, those that anticipate his arrival are the people that are doing the first two things. If you don't care about his word and you're uninterested in having your robe become radiant, his face is not that exciting just not because we're constantly we're laying at the face of at the feet of all the things that are most exciting to us but if we're repenting of that we're being plunged and we're going oh you love me and you come for me and in the light I feel freedom what begins to happen is we start to on tiptoe start to go oh maybe just maybe one day all of my hopes will be recognized when I see him And as you come to the end of the Bible, I love that you come to that sort of tone. That's the emotion and the experience in the last page of your Bible. People almost (gasps) holding their breath with expectation. It says this, The Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, a final sobering warning. He says this, if anyone takes away from the words of this book or from this prophecy, God will take his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Um, He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The final warning, he's saying, don't tamper, don't reshape the word to make it more palatable. Keep his word. Prepare yourself, and in that space, anticipate what's coming. Friends, the Bible ends with a sobered, tingling anticipation, like children standing on Christmas morning, waiting 
to go in and to, to experience the celebration. Like going to the Astros game with your glove and, sta- and standing in right field and, and waiting and hoping for that Jordan Alvarez ball. And when it gets hit and you tiptoe and glove out thinking all of the excitement and the celebration, it's going to, it's going to land on me. It's like that, <gasps> The Bible ends in that place going, oh, Everything that I've longed for and that has produced any satisfaction and joy throughout the whole of my story, it's going to to come to completion. My story is not just a story of star-crossed lovers, of, of a story of like we couldn't ever line it up. God in one moment felt kind and in one moment felt distant and I never could figure out what was going on. He's going, no, 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 stay with me. Wait with anticipation. Listen, what he's saying is this. The incarnate, crucified, resurrected one. He's not cold towards you. He has not forgotten you. He has bled for you. He has rescued you. He's coming again for you. And as we keep his word and we prepare ourselves daily, what begins to happen is we, we start to with tiptoe go, oh, may it be so. And we with the spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus that I would finally find the satisfaction and the rest that my soul has been seeking since the earliest moments of my story. Brothers and sisters, the, the final moment, the climactic moment of the story that is your life and that is our life, it's stunning. It will remake Every sad moment, taking all of the heartbreak and the disappointment and reshaping it into something that expands your joy and the celebration of what has finally arrived, what has landed on you. And so we come to the conclusion, and on tiptoe, catching our breath, we go, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let me pray for us. So Father, I thank you that your word is alive and active. I thank you that you have told us how it ends. I pray that we would be a people who live urgently, wide awake, that we would live fully alive, lives that are aligned with what matters most because one day we will see you. I pray for those that are weary and discouraged, that this morning, by the power of your Spirit, you would spark something in their hearts, to know that no matter what their current scene looks and feels like, that theirs is an excellent story if they are in Jesus. So, we love you, God. We thank you. Plunge us into the person and the work of Jesus time and again, such that we would be a people prepared, waiting with anticipation. It's in his name we pray. Amen.